You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 16 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast, the episode for December 2014. I'm your host, Bart Pushots. Joining me today, I have a fabulous panel um, from all across the planet. So uh, first up, we have um, there a, a person with a great podcasting history who went silent for a wee while. You may remember him from the typical Mac user and typical Shutterbug podcasts. I am delighted to welcome Victor Cahillao onto Let's Talk Apple. Hi, Victor. Hey, Bart, how are you doing? Good to see you and to talk to you again. I have to say, it's such a delight to hear that voice again. And <laughs> you're not just back here, you have your own podcast with George Starcher that you guys have set up. So do you want to tell people what it is and where it is? Yeah, George and I decided to start a monthly show called Articulate, and it's at articulate.info. And it's just where him and I get together and have a discussion like we would on the phone, and people just get to listen in to our babblings. That's really all there is to it. <laughs> and like, from the title, I'm guessing you've, you're, you're not limiting yourself to the Mac. You're, you're taking a much broader view with this show. A complete broad view from anything geekery, I would say. Ooh, excellent. Well, I've, I've already listened to the episodes you have out, and I look forward to future ones. So uh, keep up the good work. Um, also joining us from way, 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 way around in the Antipodes, we have Alistair Jenks from New Zealand and MacThoughts.net. Hi, Alistair. Good morning, Bart, he says to it you. It is morning. Evening. I was going to say, it's it's already like the, probably next year for you. What is it, the 4th of January already? <laughs> uh, correct. Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Well, thank you for giving up your Sunday morning for talking Mac news with me. Much appreciated. No problem. I made uh, two previous episodes in, on the trot, and then none since. That's a good point, actually. You're really consistent, and then. But no, always good to have you on whenever time time zones align and so forth. Good to be back. Yeah, cheers. And then finally, from I think the opposite coast of the United States to Victor, we have Guy Searle from the My Mac Podcast back with us. Hi, Guy. Hey. Yeah, I'm going to be a regular chatty Kathy, but I'm going to stick to my own gender. Thank you. <laughs> Okie dokie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, before we dive into the new news for December, there's a couple of stories that we talked about in the November show that I think are worth sort of a quick update. Um, the first is the what I imagine is going to be long ongoing saga of GT Advanced Technologies. Um, yeah. Two sort of new stories from December regarding that big story arc. Um, Apple have agreed to take a smaller cut of the sale of the furnaces. That way the other creditors have a chance of getting something back too. And in a move that you can only say, what the WTF, apparently GTAT Advanced would like to pay their executives a six million bonus for doing a bang-up job. (laughs) What? Well, yeah, because uh, being in bankruptcy means that you should get a bonus. Because you successfully got Chapter 11? I think they spent too much time in their ovens, if you ask me. You know, <laughs> or, smell, or smelling the output. Exactly. You know that 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 sapphire went to their head. It just it just beggars belief. You know, on the one hand, you're saying, "Dear Apple, please don't take such a big cut." What about the other creditors? Oh, and by the way, we'd like six million for ourselves because we've done such a great job. So yeah. anyway. it's wrong. It's wrong in so many ways because. It, 
why are you giving bonuses to people who let the company get into the situation, and no matter what the price? <laughs> yeah, the job of a CEO or any senior officer is certainly not to drive a comp- company to bankruptcy. That's definitely not a sign of performance. But anyway. oh, and unless, to the story, unless that's... Sorry, go ahead. No, I, according to the story, they let go of 800 employees. I'm sure those 800 employees would have enjoyed some of that $6 million. Oh, uh, so it's, 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 it, like you said, it's wrong at so many different levels. Well, now, I thought, I thought that, they, uh, uh, that some other company was, was going to kind of take it over with, with you know, all the assets in place. Well, no, there was talk of Apple reusing the factory to assemble something else. But all that stuff, that's not going to happen overnight. So, you know, no, those people true. may get a job back, but they certainly don't have one now. And they probably won't for quite a few months at the best, which is horrible at this time of year. Mm. It's horrible anyway, but it's definitely horrible now. Yeah, I mean, why, isn't there, why can't there be, like, criminal penalties for some of this stuff? I mean, this is, this is just horrendous. Oh, that's a deep philosophical question because what, I mean, what the, the way the U.S. makes it is it's easy to set up a company and the risk when it goes wrong is low, which has the advantage of encouraging entrepreneurship. Whereas in Europe, it's actually very difficult to set up a company and you're held very responsible, which is seen as putting off entrepreneurship. So which is right? That's, that's a, deep, a deep question. The one where companies stay in business. But that's down to how well you do it rather than anything else. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, because you can be successful in either scheme. <laughs> anyway, a good news story also following up. Last time we mentioned that Apple were doing a fairly dramatic drive for product red. And they had a red section in the App Store. And I bought a few apps. Um, I don't know if any of you, anyone else on the panel did. But Apple raised $20 million from that product red campaign, which is not bad going. I would you agree. push notifications for the win, eh? There were push notifications? Yeah. Did you not uh, catch that one where Apple sent out a push notification promoting their Product Red campaign and caused all sorts of uh, fuss? I, wonder, I don't remember getting it, but I may have just dismissed it. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure if I got get... it, but there was a lot of talk about it. Yeah, some people just were not happy that Apple made a decision in this particular campaign to use that ability that theoretically other developers are not allowed to use so they uh basically did something that they don't allow other developers to do so that was there was definitely scuttlebutt about that but i'm I'm thrilled that they raised the 20 million and i guess over the years they raised 100 billion so if in this one campaign alone they did one-fifth of that that's pretty impressive yeah. And I mean, some of the apps taking part were really good. I, I picked up Starwalk, which is a really good app, and you know, nice to buy it and contribute to charity at the same time. So, let us dive into some notable numbers that I noticed throughout the December news cycles. Um, this section actually has been missing in the last couple of shows because there was nothing that really caught my eye. But there's been a few things going on in December that are, I think, worthy of a look. Um, there was a bit of a well, brouhaha is maybe too strong a word, but there was concern that iOS 8 had stagnated. But uh, that seems to have unstuck itself, whatever it was causing that. And now we're now up to two-thirds of people on iOS 8. So that's... Well, I think I think a lot of that just had to do with how many devices were being sold that already had iOS 8 on it. It can't. I mean, the amount of iPhones in use can't have gone up that much by Christmas. Well, I mean, you, you look at... at the, the sales numbers, they're saying that like 50% of the activations, and I'm not, I'm not sure if that's worldwide or just in the U.S., 
were iOS devices, and that alone is going to drive up you know your numbers quite a bit. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Maybe people have forgotten the um, slight whoopsies during the launch of iOS eight, and it is more stable now. I think. Touch yeah, I'd like to forget those. Forget what? <laughs> were you, you? Was anyone on the panel hit by that minor phone not being able to make phone calls bug? No. 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 I was just looking at that graph, though. To say that they stagnated is probably not accurate. They slowed down, and maybe they they slowed down earlier than they did on the iOS seven curve, but. It's never stagnated. It's just well, by Apple's climbing standards. at a steady rate. You know, but it's compared to compared to previous iOSs, it, it, the pattern was different, uh, not in a good way. But yeah, I mean, Windows would be delighted to have that kind of. <laughs> so would Android. Android would be over the moon. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Android, um, different <laughs> that was number. My segue. <laughs> Thank you, Guy. Uh, different number there. Um, unfortunately, it's profit, and it's not up, it's uh, down. So the Android sector as a whole, according to analysts, um, it was reported on Recode, but let me just make sure I get the name of the actual analyst. Oh, come on, Internet, don't slow down now. Ah. It couldn't have anything to do with uh, a four-way Skype call. That's true. Um, <laughs> so an analyst, uh, Chetan Shamara, estimated the global profits of... So not just one particular Android manufacturer, but take them all together and worked according to the calculations done. The profit in 2014 was down by half from 2013. And the vast majority of that is due to the fact that Samsung's profits are right down. Well, this I don't think this really comes as a, as a huge surprise. I mean, Android pretty much all along, uh, as far as the... the, the the mass number of their sales is uh, the race to the bottom. How mm. cheap can they, can they make a phone? And yeah, as long as people aren't interested as much in buying manufacturers' flagship phones, then you know the profits are going to continue to drop. Well, Samsung are sort of the exception in the Android camp because they were able, they were able to make sort of high-end phones and make a good profit on them, but they've had trouble this year with that. Well, and you, you've got it right here in the show notes. The Xami. I mean, that's it, it's eating their lunch. Yeah, for a very small share of the profit. <laughs> yep. Yeah, race to the bottom indeed. Any other? Actually, yeah, I have in the show notes as well. Actually, that a related story. Well, I'm sure it's related. Is that Samsung's flagship London store is to close because of falling sales? <laughs> yeah, boy, breaks no, my heart. Yeah, but no one's been able to copy Apple successfully in this store model. Certainly, you know, uh, Microsoft has tried, but even you know, every, there's they have a flagship store here in Northern Virginia at uh, the Tyson's Corners uh, Center, which was where one of the very first Apple stores was opened. And the the contrast between the amount of traffic in those two stores is astounding. And the other one is uh, there was a Sony store. Oh. Damn it! I forgot to unplug my phone. I'm very, very sorry. The um, uh, at Pentagon City, which is another store that's local here, there was a, a Sony store right next to the Apple store, and it was just sad, you know, to to see all of the the happy smiling faces, you know, looking shocked at prices, but they were still happy smiling faces. And you look at the Sony store, and there's a couple of salesmen there going, "Yeah, we we'd like." some traffic over here too please 
Victor, you were trying to jump in there? Well, I think that what's really just continues to be the the story here is that Google wants there to be a lot of players in, in the space making these phones. And uh, this story just goes to show that if Samsung, one of the biggest ones, is the only one that can even show any kind of uh, – tinkle of uh, profits, then it just goes to show that there's going to be less and less manufacturers making these phones, and that's not good for Google. And I think that's that really becomes the bottom line of the story. It, it, my problem with Android has been and continues to be uh, that its open source nature makes it so difficult for there to be any consistency in uh, the building of the phone from the manufacturers and you know what features and uh, sets they put into them and so on. Uh, obviously, this just makes the phone, to me, overall not successful. I certainly, it's the reason why I would not use one. Well, th- there's a big advantage to Apple in making the whole widget because the, the level of mm-hmm. performance they get out of their hardware, no one else can match that. You know, you That's have, very true. Because you have these, you know, I have a quad-core Android phone. and say, okay, and how does it perform? Yeah, about the same as an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Because, you know, st- yeah, I think we're slowly getting out of judging our computers based on statistics. So, oh, I have so much RAM on my phone. You hear a few Linux nerds say that. But that's not really what anyone gives a monkeys about. What people care about is when I swipe, when I click, when I tap... Does it feel instant or does it feel sluggish? And if it feels sluggish, it's bad. It doesn't matter whether you have 40 cores or 10 trillion gigabytes of RAM. It doesn't matter. It has to feel quick, and iOS always feels quick. Back on the shop angle, mm-hmm. I mean, I read that story, and it said that they Samsung do still have six, seven, eight, some number of stores yeah. in London, and this is just their, their big, you know, in-the-face one. Yeah, I, I guess Apple probably has a, a, a premium store somewhere in the centre of London. Yes, they probably the, have one right there in that same what is that yeah. mall? Westfield Mall. I'm trying to remember the name of Apple's big London one, but it's not. It's not in a mall. It's in one of those places where they so got a historic building and dollied it up and made it look fantastic. So Regent Street. Regent Street. Yes, the one. Yeah. So here's the thing. Samsung have closed one shop. Maybe it was their most fancy one of mm-hmm. however many that was. So let's say seven. Mm-hmm. But who hands up? Who's ever ever heard of an Apple store closing anywhere in the world? I can't they, think of a single one. Well, they close for no. refurbishing, and sometimes they reopen in yeah. a different place, so they don't yeah. have to be closed Bigger for too places. long. But that's not closing. Yeah, and they that, are that's... opening stores around the world. Uh, I think it's like several a month on average. Still not in Ireland, I'll have you know. <laughs> or New Zealand. <laughs> I want a bloody Apple store. Anyway. In the, in the meantime, I've got like five of them within like an hour. Oh, I'm sure, Victor, you have a cabillion of them in California. We do. We have quite a, quite a few. And, and you walk in on a Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock and they're loaded. They're full. I mean, it's, it's a, astonishing to me every time I go to an Apple store, uh, which I may have to do soon here, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I actually went to the, to the Fifth Avenue uh, New York store uh, a couple of months ago. And I was, I was astounded because, I mean, number one, it is a huge store, but it was packed. I mean, literally, you you had trouble walking around because there was just so many people there. Hmm. I mean, yes. when Microsoft opened their stores originally, there was there was a meme among analysts to go to a mall and take a picture of both the Microsoft store and the Apple store in the same mall, with, you know, five minutes apart. And it was always the same. And the meme died out because it's so boring. It's lots of people. Yeah, no one. 
and I've, I've never seen a particularly busy Sony shop, and I've never seen a Samsung no. shop. Well, they they actually sold because uh, they they owned I think they owned the Metreon in San Francisco that entire uh, that entire mm. complex, and they had a huge store there. And I think not only did they did they close that Sony store, I think they actually sold their stake in it. Wow. Okay, so I think the other... Someone may have already hinted at this story in our previous one, but according to Flurry Analytics, about half of the smartphones activated worldwide between December 19th and December 25th were iOS devices, which is impressive. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, and when you, you think about, you know, getting back to the, to the, the profit angle, when, when you think about just a single sale for Apple for an iPhone probably equals 10 or more sales of an Android phone. I mean, it's, it's like they've got a license to print money. Well, to see, to me what it says, right, because that's out of whack with average sales for the year because especially worldwide, Apple does not sell half of phones worldwide. It sells about half no. in the US. But worldwide, nowhere near because Android is doing really well in Asia, pretty darn sure. well in Europe, to be honest, too. Um, mm-hmm. So what that tells me is that the phone people want as a gift, the phone that is good enough to give, <laughs> yeah. is an Apple phone. If you're going to put a bow on it, it better be Apple. Yeah. I mean, that is, to me, a real mark that when it comes to quality, Apple are right up there in terms of what you want to give people. And I'm assuming the other phones given for Christmas are going to be the higher-end Samsungs and those kind of phones. You know, the, the flagship devices, not your average Android I think the that beautiful thing sense. about this is is the halo effect that comes afterwards. People mm. who uh, buy their first Apple device and use it for a while uh, just are drawn to, you know, continue in the ecosystem. And uh, I've I've seen this myself in, in friends, you know, that uh, before were not Apple users, and they buy the phone, they use it, and all of a sudden they're calling me saying, "Hmm, well, what about a first Mac? What should I look into?" And so on. So it's just this. Uh, wonderful entry drug into the complete Apple uh, system because it does perform so well. Well, the iPod was the same way. Um, oh, if you think, was for if me. If you think back to me. Uh, early, early 2000s when, when the iPod came out and was basically eating everybody else's lunch as far as MP3 players go, there was, there was a huge uptake of, of Mac users at that time. And you know, that probably led all the way almost to when the original iPhone was released. And it's, so it's just it's just kind of gone from one product, the iPod, to the next iconic Apple product, which is the iPhone. Now, where it hasn't really translated to, I think, is uh, the iPad. I don't know about that guy. When people... When I, when I see people who are, who want a really serious tablet, they, they always seem to end up with iOS devices. Yeah, no, that's not what I'm. T- I just mean that it hasn't. It probably hasn't led to an upswing in in Mac sales. Like, oh, right, yeah, like it's, like yeah, with the it's, iPod or the iPhone. In fact, because it's because the iPad is is pretty much a, a standalone. It, it's it's a computer that you can give to someone that has relatively simple needs as far as you know. All they want is their email. All they want is mm-hmm. to surf the web and you know things along those lines. Content consumption and. They can pretty much do everything with it, including setting up their air, their airport extreme, setting up their yeah. Wi-Fi in their it's, house. It, it may actually be the only product with a, with a carnivorous halo. It's probably eating yeah. some Mac sales. Probably. 
I'm sure there's a better word for that, Bart. <laughs> yeah, I know. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's, that should be the name of the show. Carn- Carnivorous Halo. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do show naming here. We call them after the month of the year. I'm very boring that way. Um, okay. Actually, it's a good, a good transition, actually, into what makes Apple money. So Business Insider did up a nice infographic which shows off what, where does Apple's profit come from. And the iPod is still there. And if you just look at the money rather than the percentage of Apple's money, it's actually not a bad business. It's $2.85 billion. That's staggering to me. They're still selling that many. Yeah. But that, that's, then that's more than quite a few other you know, Fortune 500 companies. Yes. I, I mean, a lot of yeah. companies would be superbly happy. That is a, on its own, that is an amazing business. And that is the weakest of Apple's businesses in total. Next weakest is accessories, which obviously you don't expect your accessories to be your main form of revenue. That'd be nuts. And that's seven and a bit billion. Uh, iTunes then is at 22 and a bit billion. Hmm. Which Mac- originally was just supposed to be the, the break even. Yeah. Right. It was there to support the iPod. It was there sort of the, yeah, your, your lost leader to sell iPods. But of course. Well, it, it, it may still break even. This is revenue figures, not profits. Yes, that is true. That's but also. True. Yeah. Remember that the iPhone is also an iPod. And iTunes is still the lost leader on iPhones and iPads, too. So maybe the role yep. hasn't quite gone. Uh, Mac then is at 30 billion ish. iPad. So the iPad has already surpassed the Mac in terms of revenue, which is kind of amazing at 36, well, about 37 billion ish. But the iPhone is absolutely, completely king of Apple's hill at 121.5 billion in revenue. Which is also known as more than half. Way more, yeah. It is just a huge, huge chunk of Apple's. Yeah, you're right, more than half. The infographic is not to scale because that doesn't look like more than half of the diagram. But it isn't the numbers. It's it's, Uh, it's astounding. The 2014 fiscal year specifically, Guy. Okay. Yes. So all of, yeah, so all of 2014. And what's interesting is underneath they have a comparison to other large corporations. And in the tech sector, Apple is absolutely king by revenue. The next closest is Microsoft at $91 billion. Well, 91.5, let's be friendly. And so again, that's, that. that's, re- that's revenue, not profit. Uh, correct. So Apple yes. is well, I'm willing to bet that, that Apple's profit margins, all, all in all, encompassing all of their mm. various products, are, is probably larger than you know, the, the next, not counting Microsoft, the next four or five down. Well, right, because Apple's margins are always in the 30s. You know, sometimes they're low 30s, sometimes they're high 30s, but Apple's margins are in the 30s. So 30% of $220 billion, not good at much, <laughs> but it's a lot of money. It is. It is. But the, the fascinating thing I find there is that the iPhone alone has substantially more revenue than the entire Microsoft. Yes. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And, well, the iPad is more than Facebook, which is bizarre. <laughs> well, I, yeah, you know, it should be. Damn true. It. Well, it actually, the Mac be. is more than Facebook. iTunes software is more than Facebook. Accessories <laughs> is not, though. Uh, but yeah, but so the only companies bigger on this list are ExxonMobil. And in terms of revenue, you would expect an oil company to make a lot of revenue. And Walmart, who, again, oodles of revenue. What's, what do you call the one up? A, a half a trillion in revenue for Walmart. But their profit margins are not 
No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Putting it very mildly. But of course, the reason Walmart can exist is because even if your profit margin is 0.1% on half a trillion, you've done pretty well for yourself. <laughs> yeah, somebody will get paid. Yeah. So that's actually, I really do recommend people have a look at that Business Insider one, because when we're talking about all the Apple stories throughout the year, it's good to know what really matters to Apple's bottom line. And it is the iPhone, hands down. Um, legal stories for the month of December. Yay! Yay. Um, I'm going to just mention the first one quickly because, well, we can talk about it a little, but not for much, because really we're in a holding position. So Apple's ebook price-fixing appeal has gone to, I don't know if you call it trial, but it's... Well, it's to an appellate court. Yes. Uh, so there have been oral arguments heard and no decision made. And like there, I think we're expecting a decision in months, not weeks, let alone days. So all we can kind of do is read the tea leaves and try to get inside the judges' heads based on the questions they were asking. And assuming that that's an even remotely valid thing to do, it would appear that two of the three judges see things Apple's way and think that the DOJ went after the wrong plaintiff and they should have been investigating the company with a monopolistic market share for, you know, i.e., is the Amazons. So, Yeah, and why why is it that they have, or how were they able to get such huge market share without basically cutting the throat of their competitors? Yeah. Well, one of the judges actually used the phrase predatory pricing with respect to Amazon. There was another sort of humorous one where he said, I don't think Apple was, you know, Apple and the publishers weren't colluding. There was, no, they were colluding, but that doesn't mean it's antitrust. It's like the mice getting together to hang the cat on the bell. No, the bell on the cat. Yeah, I love that, and I think that Amazon deserves that kind of pressure in order uh, to get you know the the market leveled uh, or the playing field leveled, and that's going to take some adjustment in pricing uh, for it to find you know the right level at which the computer, uh, sorry, the consumer can be uh, can have a choice. I think Amazon did this you know back when they went up against Apple in the music business. I was thrilled when that happened. And Amazon was able to um, give Apple some competition that was much needed at the time uh, in the iTunes uh, world. And uh, I, for one, started buying most of my music, if not all of it, through Amazon. So this is not a, a first practice. And I think that this kind of competition is good. And uh, the price changing up or down is part of the natural cycle of, of economy, uh, especially economies of scales when it comes to things like books or music. And, and remember, remember as well that uh, with Amazon's sales of, of music, they included a tool, if you couldn't figure it out for yourself, they included a tool that would actually put your purchases directly into iTunes. Mm, and sure Apple, Apple yep. never said boo because nope. – the purchases you were getting from uh, Amazon didn't have any DRM, so there was no reason why you know anybody would complain about it. And so Apple said nothing. But as soon as Apple jumps into the book business, all of a sudden the rules seem to be changed a bit. Well, you see, to me, where, where the first judge went wrong is she decided that if prices go up, then it's bad for consumers. Therefore, Apple did something illegal. And the only reason prices went up is not because Apple were increasing prices through price fixing. It's because... Prices were artificially low because Amazon were selling below cost. Yep. And a That's healthy correct. market, you can't stay below cost forever. Th- those prices are going up 
inevitably. The question is, do Amazon get to kill all the competition before the prices go up, or do the prices go up before Amazon get to kill everyone? Because those prices have to go up. You cannot stay below cost forever. No. No. Or the, well, the only other way around that would be to pressure the publishers to reduce what they charged. But, I mean, that's a whole different story. They've been squeezed pretty hard already. And, of course, the thing is with Apple's system, you, you sort of get to do that as well because it's actually the publishers who set the price. And so the competition becomes between the publishers, which is probably how it should be in a fair market. Yes. So. The, a case that did come to, well, I say an end, that came to a decision which is now going to be appealed almost certainly, but it, nonetheless there is a, a thing that happened, is the uh, iPod antitrust case, which I still can't believe we're talking <laughs> about in 2015. I know. <laughs> Although it did hey, end before 2.8 billion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, so w- when we last left our story, uh, a month ago show, was that uh, there were big question marks over the presence of any plaintiffs at all in the case. It was a class action with a class of zero, by the looks of things. Um, after we recorded, the judge actually ruled out the last plaintiff and said, no, you actually don't qualify. You didn't buy an iPod. You are not part of... The, you can't be one of the plaintiffs. Uh, but the, the judge didn't throw the case out because the judge felt the case should be heard. And so a mission was set to find a plaintiff. And they found one. And so, dun, of course... Dun, the, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> what a... A case that has been languishing for so long... How can you not have a plaintiff sorted? Anyway, they got one. So off we went, and it went to trial. And uh, Apple argued that, well, actually, the DRM thing was pushed on us by the music companies, and we never liked it. We got rid of it as soon as we could. And the jury went, yeah, I think you're right, Apple. You didn't do anything wrong there. Case is, well, not case dismissed. Apple not guilty. Of course, the uh, the uh, class action say they're considering appeal. Yeah, well, that's how these things go. Big shocker there. So... I think the outcome was fair and correct. I don't think I don't think it's fair to say that Apple were somehow trying to be anti-competitive because they were forced into DRM that they wiggled out of the instant they had a chance. Also, actually, but, Amazon made it possible for Apple to get out of DRM. Yeah, because they were actually the first. Yeah. And well, and you know why that happened, of course, is because the music companies were afraid of Apple's dominance, so they they thought that giving Amazon non-DRM'd downloads would be the push that would kind of move things in that direction without understanding that that basically meant that DRM that they wanted on everything was going to go away. Well, I think they knew it was going to go away, and they used they used the last flailing kicks of DRM to get one up on Apple. I think it was actually quite clever how they did it. Yeah, it didn't well, work, I'm, but... I mean, Apple didn't want DRM all along. If we go back to, mm. what, 2007 when uh, Steve Jobs put out his manifesto on thoughts on music, I mean, he clearly said on that that um, the DRM would create a truly inoperable music marketplace, one that Apple would embrace wholeheartedly. So that he wanted uh, DRM removed and Apple wanted it removed. It was just the way it was gone about was so wonky, you know, <laughs> through this a- Amazon side door. Uh, but in the end, you know, Apple really got kind of what they wanted too by having it removed, which uh, to me, if I were a judge, it would clearly uh, tell me that, you know, Apple was not – uh, being predatory in its uh, use of DRM on its devices, you know, it was simply doing what the, the music companies wanted done at that particular time. And yeah. that was what was based on the contracts that uh, both parties had signed. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. 
Um, moving on to what's probably not such good news for Apple employees. So uh, there was a bunch of Apple employees had a court case ongoing demanding they be paid for the time they're forced to stand in line for security to make sure they haven't nicked stuff while they were in work. And a judge has thrown that out of court because he interprets a U.S. Supreme Court ruling as saying that that's okay. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but actually that's a terrible way to start any sentence. But anyway, I'm going to continue. <laughs> I was going to ask you, does that mean you play one on TV? Yeah, no, I don't even do that. Uh, it's, it's, I hate when people say I'm not a scientist, but, and then continue to try to say as it, talk as if they know stuff. So maybe I should stop, but... It, too late. Too late. Yeah, one of the phrases in the thing was like, you know, that this is not an integral part of their work, and it's like, but it's mandatory, and you can't actually work at Apple yeah. without being security screened. So how is that not integral? But maybe the word integral has a different meaning in the legal sense. Yeah, it's a it's a messy one. That one. It is, and I, I I'm afraid my pinko communist tendencies put me on the side of the worker on that one. I think, of course, you should be paid for being forced to stand in line. To well, there's there's actually violated. there's actually uh, precedents for this um the particular place where i work uh they have armed security guards and those armed security guards were required to show up non-paid 45 minutes before the start of their shift to what? you know check yeah 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 and this went on for years and finally there was a, a class action suit and the uh the, the company that hired them had lost and some of these guys pulled down like twenty to thirty thousand uh, dollar settlements. Pay. Yeah, actively forty five minutes a day back pay for God for five long. five to fifteen years. Yeah, wow. I, I mean, I don't think this could possibly happen in Europe. I'm pretty sure under European law, this just just wouldn't float. And it always makes me sad, actually, that a company as profitable as Apple is not particularly altruistic towards its Apple store workers. It seems to be particularly no. actually the Apple stores that get the, the, the rough end of things. They do seem to, don't they? Yeah, I mean, in, in my view, it's, it's quite simple. If you can arrive at, at the store at your allotted time and then arrive at your station in you know, sales or whatever 15 minutes later, no problem. But I suspect that uh, the managers won't, wouldn't allow that. They want them to be on station at the time that they've said. It just seems all wrong. It is all. It is all wrong. To me, you walk in the door at the time that you're supposed to be in for, and anything else is off the clock. You know, it's, it's, sorry, it's on the clock. Is is corporation's problem? Anyway, until you leave. Until you leave. Yeah. So the one final new thing I have in this section is that the Rockstar Consortium, which includes Apple, so they were co- Apple and a whole bunch of other tech companies, but not Google, got together to buy Alcatel Nortel. Alcatel. Nortel. Nortel. Yeah. Not Alcatel, Lucy knows. Those, those companies. Um, and uh, there was a lot of suing going on over those patents. And as part of continued... Well, people are interpreting as de-escalation in the patent war. Rockstar are div- selling a whole bunch of those patents to a company who will then license them to everyone. So that kind of defuses those patents because if they're being licensed to everyone at a reasonable price, then they're not going to be sued over. It's just straightforward, you know price of doing business not to lawyers but to patent holders I, I see that as kind of like open sourcing those patents in a way yeah putting them putting them out beyond the interested parties and, and letting somebody else do things fairly yeah and you know they're not going to be exorbitantly licensed but they are going to be licensed so there is i mean you know whoever buys these patents is going to make money off them but you know they're not going to be used to beat people over the head with and pay lawyers vast amounts of money so 
Probably. Well, that's not the American way. <laughs> <laughs> right, let us move in. Oi, it's quite late into the call to moving into the main stories. But anyway, it's just it's been a funny... I guess December's always a funny month. So, first main story I think we should talk about, it's not chronologically the first, but I think it is by far the biggest, is... Um, the British Broadcasting Corporation have a long-running series of documentaries, usually of superbly high quality, called Horizon. And the Horizon team set their sights on Apple and released a documentary called Apple's Broken Promises, where they visited Apple's Chinese supply chain and did some reporting. And they basically reported a whole bunch of problems, and they're probably real problems. They are. And Apple responded quite strongly saying, you have actually presented a really biased point of view here because what you are not showing is how every other corporation, you know, everyone else's supply chain is even worse than ours. We are really working hard to to make improvements and making inroads, but you haven't presented that. And it's, on the whole, I kind of think the BBC's piece isn't, it it's certainly correct, not fair. It's not, it's not fair and balanced. It's not balanced. Yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not. They're not lies. I mean, it's not like they made it up, but it's not a full rounded picture of reality either. So the people watching the documentary don't come away educated. They come away miseducated. They come away mad at Apple instead of instead of being mad at the overall practices which Apple is working hard to uh, to to fight against. You know, it's it's everything. Kind of, and you know, I talked about this on uh, the the MyMac podcast. And yes, these are real problems. And yes, could Apple be doing better? Certainly, but you have to look at it in the context of what is everybody else doing now, and what was everybody else doing before Apple kind of put the spotlight on this? And for the most part. You know, they were going to these companies that put together their, their devices and saying, well, you know, we've contracted you to give us one million widgets at a particular price on a particular date. And we don't really give a damn how you do that. Whereas Apple kind of said, well, we do give a damn. And, you know, we, we want you to be held to a higher standard than that. And, you know, the thing, the other thing that people have to remember is that, that this is a foreign country. And that Apple can't just go in there with a chair and a whip and say, do things our way or else, because that's not how things operate in that country. But even even within the United States, it would be very difficult without having an employee from Apple standing in every part of every factory for every shift. Even if it was all happening in the States, Apple would be very hard pushed to observe every moment of everything in their supply chain. Yes, here's a here's a very probable irony to this. If Apple hadn't been really trying to fix this stuff and telling the world about what they're trying to do, would the BBC even have been in there and filmed this? No, I don't think they would. No, that's or it would be it, it, it would be uh, lip service like they used to do about the shoe factories in Vietnam, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, Apple are they're probably not the only company, but they're certainly the only of the big companies that have. These transparency reports, they, re- they report on themselves. They've also signed up to have the, um, oh, what's the name of that labor organization? Yeah, there, there's a Chinese labor organization. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's either. actually the Chinese labor organization. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, the, uh, the, the CLO. Something like that. But they have basically <laughs> signed up to have a third party audit them, and they publish what's found. 
I mean, compared to, you know, everyone Everybody. else who makes smartphones or computers, Apple are the leaders of the pack here. And the fact that there's, you know, it's, it's, it's a terrible it's cliche in this country because right. we have political parties who abused it completely, but a lot done more to do. And the message from the documentary should be, Apple, don't pat yourself on the back yet. You still have more to do. But it certainly should have been Apple is terrible, Apple's broken promises. It, it, just, it isn't accurate, it isn't fair, it isn't a representation of what's really going on. And Apple have acknowledged that they've got more to do. Right, yes. that's the point of these transparency reports. Because they always I mean, they always say they have the, more to do. The BBC just, they missed the bigger story here. The, you know, they, they, had, they, they could have reported on the systemic problem that there is in China and right. countries like China. And that is the real story here. Apple being... Yes, a part of the story, but a part, like you guys have said, that is trying to, you know, make it better. The real story is that all of the other electronic companies are doing just what you said. Build me this number of widgets. I don't care how you get there. And this is, you know, just traditionally how we've seen employers uh, taking advantage of employees throughout the history of time. Mm. Uh, it's happening in China now, and I think Apple is trying to make it better. That, BBC, was the real story, and you completely missed it because you had myopia towards the Apple uh, bent on the story. No, I, I don't think it was a question of myopia. I think it was, it was well, if we say the entire tech, sec- tech sector has these issues, nobody's going nobody's gonna to care. Nobody's going to watch the program. But yeah. we say it's Apple... And all of a sudden, you know, everybody that either loves or hate Apple is is going to uh, chime in and watch because they're biased one way or the other. So it's yeah, the video bait. version of clickbait. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Eyeball bait. Well, it's, no? you're still clicking. It's just a remote control. I mean, it, it, oh, true. <laughs> The bottom line is this is a societal problem. This is something that each of us have a responsibility to be aware of and be, you know, doing something about and making sure that we're uh, dealing with companies that are being proactive to fixing the problem. It, it, you know, we all buy these devices. We all use them. We all you know, carry part of the responsibility for what's going on here, just like we have in many other industries, again, throughout time. What strikes me is this is one of those situations where Apple are not actually obeying the return on investment. If, if you remember back to that um, earnings call when the, when the, the right wing guy um, gave Tim Cook hell for for you know oh this environmental stuff you're doing there's no return on investment you know and, and Tim Cook said I don't care about the bloody ROI all the time. This is another one of those cases where Apple are not doing what a purely capitalist system would have them do. They're actually being they're giving up profits to do something altruistic, which is not actually something the Western system is particularly geared towards doing. And so that actually makes it even more impressive to me that Apple, as an American company, are doing that. And that very few American companies take that, you know, they'll take the ROI rather than taking the moral stand. Well, another irony is that with the recent swing, in, certainly in Western societies, towards environmental awareness at, mm. at the very least that is ROI yeah a very very big picture ROI yeah the planet yeah, <laughs> yeah no it is anyway um, any, anyone, anyone have any final thoughts before I move us off I could stand for my soapbox forever on this one <laughs> okay so we all sort of I, I don't know if we, we scoffed or if we were just like what the huh when Apple and IBM got into bed together well they've released their first set of apps and 
if you're into that kind of thing, they look fine. Um, well, the 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 theme of the reporting seemed to be, hey, these things are actually quite good. Yeah, because they're dry, boring, businessy stuff. You know, well, they're apps for running. Yeah, but that's an what sells hardware. Yeah. that's what sells hardware. Yeah, but that's uh, why I, that's I why Android Android would will will never get apps like this. Yeah, but like wow. like, like I said, the, the reporting is always like, hey. This is actually kind of nice UI. This is actually kind of well designed. This is actually nice. Yep. And having worked for IBM for a little over eight years, all I can say is that somebody at Apple had a word with them. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's ironic, though, <laughs> seeing how you know the the beginning of Apple was was so supposed to be the anti IBM. Yeah. Yeah. Mind you, the IBM of those days was a whole different ballgame. The IBM of those days was king of the heap. Yeah. Um, IBM went through a bit of a a patch of their own, shall we say, like Apple. And I think like Microsoft are now experiencing what IBM experienced. Yes, yes. They're going through that transition. Um. The other, the next thing I have is good news for us Europeans. I, I say us, I'm the only one here on the panel, but all, all of my fellow Europeans, we, we get to give our apps back without any questions asked for 14 days from now on. Um, this is because the European Commission have a um, oh, directive, is the word, which is actually anyone who's not familiar with how Europe works, which is probably most Europeans. Um, <laughs> I can't blame anyone who's not familiar with how Europe works, right? The bureaucracy on top of bureaucracy on top of bureaucracy, headquartered in a country which is made of bureaucracy, Belgium. Um, so the European Commission give out directives which are instructions to companies to impl- or to countries to implement laws. So the directive says that you should always be able to get your money back after 14 days, and in theory then every country has to implement a law to turn that directive into a law. Now, not everyone's actually done that yet because it takes years for these directives to become local laws. But Apple have nonetheless said, okay, we're going to implement this directive in all of our European national stores. So basically, if you're buying your iTunes stuff from the Apple subsidiary in, the, in, the, in Luxembourg, which Ireland is, we get to say, we get to click report on problem and say we'd like our money back within 14 days, no questions asked. Which is now, does, that, does that include content like movies and, and music? Or is it, that just apps? It is my understanding that it does, but I am not 100% sure on that. See, you know, don't I on don't that. know no. if I agree with that. Actually, no, not I don't think content. it does. No, I can't include content because that, that doesn't make sense. That, that's, yeah. that's like free rentals. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. No, but what this is, though, is a trial period by the back door, right? Oh, let, let's take this in a slightly grayer area. It doesn't include in-app purchases. Ooh, I don't know. Because, for example, if I wanted to come to, oh, let's say Dublin, for a holiday mm-hmm. for less than fourteen days, could which is realistic, could I right? sign up to the to the Irish um, app store, download one of the the fancy you know hundred euro uh, navigation Mapping apps, or something, yeah, maps, navigate my, my way around uh, the Dublin area, in fact, the whole of Ireland, and then finish my holiday and say, you know what, I want my money back. That's a very interesting question. The answer is probably yes. If yeah, or so. you could elect, 
Yeah, you could be like the king of Candy Crush, you know, <laughs> just like buy <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, just go ahead and go for it all, and then return all those in purchase in in app purchases. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't even really know what happens with in app purchases. That's a really good question. We're going to have to see how this pans out in a practical level. And of course, once you get, once you return the app, they of course take it out of your account. So it's not that you get to have the app for free. So no, you know, but, it is. Yeah. It's only really useful. If you buy an app that turns out to be rubbish and you want your money back, which I have had on a few occasions. Actually, Apple have actually been quite good about that because I've bought a few apps on the Mac App Store that turned out to be absolute garbage. And I just clicked the reported problem, said this app just just doesn't live up to its promise at all. And I got my money back. So I'll have to try that. I was kind of surprised. Crappy apps. Yeah, I was kind of surprised, but they were very good about it. it. Took a day or two, but it did happen. Um, the other story, the next story I have then is, it's sort of a meta story, it's more of a story arc, is that the Apple Pay train can, seems to be really quite well on track. It's It seems to be working. Yeah, this is amazing. I mean, I'm just going to read through these stories, and I'm not going to talk each of them in depth, just to sort of give you an idea of the arc of the December news for Apple Pay, but... More banks and retailers sign up to Apple Pay. Cards with Apple Pay support are now representing 90% of the transaction volume. Now, that doesn't mean that 90% of transactions are Apple Pay, but it means that 90% could be if people want it, because the cards being yeah. used are compatible. It's not even quite that. I, I read that one several times trying to understand that, that metric. What they're saying is that 90% of transactions are done today with cards that could use Apple Pay. Yes. So it's not really 90% of anything as far as Apple Pay is concerned. No, but it, it means that of the of the commerce happening, 90% of it could be Apple Pay based if people wanted it to be, which is kind of impressive. And, and if the merchants allow it. And if when you think about that, that Google Pay had been around for a couple of years and generated like nothing. Yes. Yeah. Um, to the, another story then, Disney World accepting Apple Pay from December 24th. Apple posted job posting, hinting at worldwide expansion of Apple Pay, followed a few days later by leaks and rumors from the UK saying that Apple is negotiating with UK banks. Um, apparently, the UK banks don't like how much information Apple want in terms of the <laughs> That's finance. hilarious. That's quite funny. Um, the, the, the statement, one of the banks said that we think that Apple are trying to take over the UK banking system. Really? Yeah, by working with you instead of against you. Like, <laughs> exactly. And yeah. giving like, you fees, surely. When, when you think about it, Apple could open their own bank in the UK <laughs> yeah. and drive half of the other banks out of business just just from a, how much profit that they're sitting on. Right, I mean, MCX got enough money is, to pay the bonuses. Right, yeah. the, the MCX consortium is how you, how you take over from the banks. What Apple are doing is working entirely within the system – with the banks, it's not taking over the banks. It's the very opposite of that. It's facilitating their continued dominance of finances. But anyway. It's okay, because two years from now, MCX will not exist. I, I really think so. Um, in a related story, to prove that Apple are onto the right track, Samsung are said to be copying them. <laughs> well, of course they are. QED must be a good idea. <laughs> so uh, should I, we have a sweet stake on what they're going to call that service? It's either going to be horrible or very, very similar, like Epi Pay or something like that. Sappy Pay. Sapple Pay. Sapple Pay. Sammy Pay. Sammy Pay. Do they like Sammy or do they not like Sammy as an abbreviation? 
Who knows? True. <coughs> I, I just, as, as a non-American, I just hope this really does come to the rest of Europe. I guess the Brits will have it first, but that's how it always goes. Um, the Brits get everything first over here. And I hope little old Ireland, maybe, I'm, I'm sort of thinking, right, this is completely optimistic on my part, but my thinking is Ireland doesn't have very many banks, so it can't take that much effort to negotiate with them, therefore we should have it quickly. Uh, ditto. <laughs> but at the same time, would you really, I mean, some of the stuff that uh, the UK now has, like like uh, uh, Black Friday sales, do you really want something like that in Europe? Why not? <laughs> we, we've had Black Friday sales for years. We just started copying you guys. Yeah, I don't know I why know. we do it. I no, I don't know why they do it here. Uh, well, Cyber Monday is the one that gets me because it's it it's raison d'être is utterly gone. We have the internet at home now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cyber Saturday. Actually, well, Victor or Guy, since you're the only two who even conceivably could, and either of you guys using Apple Pay? I don't even have an iPhone six yet. Okay, so you're not. I'm not because my bank is not participating yet. They they say it's coming, but they haven't done so yet. Yeah, my bank actually does participate, and I have a number of cards whose banks participate. I just haven't um, jumped into uh, the iPhone six world yet. Yeah, um, I, I I assume Victor that you're looking forward to it when it when it comes along. Yeah, I'll use it when it comes along. I think uh, 2015 is going to be a, a big year uh, here in America because a lot of the cards are not going to go into uh, chips. You know, we are behind the entire world when it comes Quite. to this technology. So um, their uh, cards are being reissued uh, this year. So you know, being able to pay via NFC in general will be available, even if we have to do it with the cards. But to me, that just means you know, Apple Pay will be in more and more places as this year uh, strides along. Uh, oh. I, I guess the analysts say it's not going to be here uh, un- until after this year, but I, I think we'll see a lot of it this year. So, I, do, I think so, too. So you guys are basically jumping sort of two, two transitions in one, because we went from swipe to chip, and then we went to tap to pay. But you guys seem to be jumping straight from swipe to chip and tap to pay. That seems that's the way I'm reading it, at least. Yes. And so, as soon as those NFC readers are in every till, I mean, Apple Pay doesn't actually need support from the merchant; they just have to not block it. Because, exactly. as far as that reader is concerned, your phone is a credit card. It behaves exactly like a credit card; it's just a one-time number instead of a permanent number. So, it actually yep. takes an active effort to stop Apple Pay. Assuming yes, you, assuming the bank that is tied to the back of it supports it. So, it's, well, I mean, I, well, active. Yeah. In that if they don't have an NFC reader, it won't work. Yes. So th- this year, as they all roll out their new readers, it's going to become something you choose not to do. Yeah, unless they're part of MCX. Though there is a grocery store, I think, somewhere in the Midwest that said, yeah, you know what? We're going to do them both. We don't care. I think it was a pharmacy, a drugstore. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And they, they, nothing, The world doesn't seem to have ended for them, so I guess you can do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, what could they? What could MCX do? I could throw them out. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's probably secretly Ooh. hoping for that. <laughs> okay, and then the last sort of well, I say big story. I just threw it in here because it's again, it's an arc. Um, there was some rumors at the start of the month that Tim Cook should be Time Person of the Year, and I'm sorry, but no, he shouldn't. <laughs> there are much more influential people on the whole planet. But I did think it was nice to see Tim Cook be the FT. 
person of the year because in a financial world that seems entirely cromulent. And CNN yes. marked him as CEO of the year. And again, that's perfectly reasonable, but person of the year, nonsense. So I'm, I'm glad he didn't win that, but I'm happy that the Financial Times and CNN recognized Tim Cook this year for his business. Hey, he's done a good job running Apple, I think. Yeah, I think so. I can't believe, even what was it, just last year people were, were screaming for his head? People, a collection of dumb analysts. Yes. <laughs> yes, no shortage of those. I was going to say, we should, we should come up with like a collective noun. DAs. DAs. Well, I had dumb a version analysts. that I've, I've used on a precursor podcast to this one. Oh? Which was, yeah, which was the analysts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't believe stuff. <laughs> now, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just reminded of the fact that there was a BBC comedy series actually managed to get the collective noun for baboons changed to flange. It's now shown up in research papers. It was meant as a joke. So I'd say a flange of analysts. Anyway, um, I also have some quick stories that are worth mentioning. Um, for the first time ever, Apple have used the power they've had for a while to push security updates at us instead of telling us or instead of asking us to install stuff they installed a pretty nasty bug in NTP automatically and then told us they had done it is this a bad thing? no 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 no. I think you mean they installed a patch rather than the bug sorry yes yes I do (laughs) (laughs) I'll be very miffed actually if they put up a notice saying hello we have broken your computer thank you (laughs) thank you and we did it automatically without asking you so I I turned on my Mac in the morning and there was a little message from Apple saying we have patched a security update has been applied oh okay thank you Um, and of course when you click for more you you found out that it was the NTP bug which was a pretty nasty bug and a lot of Linuxus admins spent a lot of time patching servers so it was nice that Apple looked after it for Mac people as a computer scientist there is one part of this that makes me a little bit queasy what if some hacker gets hold of that system and instead of everyone having to click OK Apple please give me malware they just get to push malware at every Mac in the world but I've felt that same way about McAfee and all of those other things that update every day, and it's never happened yet, so yeah, maybe it's okay. In theory. Mm. But, but Apple's a, not a security company. It is kind of a scary thing, though, right? Now, they would have to get Apple's keys and stuff, because if it isn't digitally signed, it's not going to install and so forth. So uh, the barrier to entry is not you just it's not just distribution. You also have to digitally sign it. But yeah, it still makes me feel a bit... Ooh. Oogie? Which... It yeah. should be a reason why they should use it very sparingly, I think. Correct, and they have been. So I guess it's it's all right. Everything with security is a balance of probabilities. You can't be perfectly safe, sorry. So we're probably safer with Apple having the ability to do this in case of emergency than we are not, you know, Apple not having this ability for, you know, for the next... Yeah, or just putting out a notification going, please, 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 please yeah. patch this. Yeah, before everything breaks, please. Because we haven't had our, you know, I love you or Code Red moment on OS X yet. We may never Not have yet, it, but we could. Uh, hopefully we won't. And this kind of technology actually makes it much less likely that someone could do that because Apple can push out a fix. Um, also, I thought odd, well, maybe odd in a good way, Apple are now accepting PayPal on their online store. No, not the app store, not the app stores, the actual Apple stores. You can pay yeah, I don't PayPal. get this. That's only in certain countries, though, I think. Probably. 
I, I still think it's a nice. I actually like the fact that it's just US and UK. It just shows to me that Apple are not thinking of Apple Pay as we will dominate the world. It's just we're going to offer something nice and easy. And to me, every shop's primary role is to make it easy for me to give you my money. And the the good thing about PayPal, uh, um, there are people in this world who yeah, absolutely wait, 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 despise wait, wait. PayPal. Good good thing about PayPal. I'm just trying, yeah. trying to process that. I, I will say good things about PayPal. Without PayPal, as a I, I the only yeah. income I have from podcasting is donations. Without PayPal, that wouldn't work. Well, and my wife and I run a small business selling stuff on physical goods online. And without PayPal, we wouldn't have that business because they are the only service at the time. Um, and I should qualify that with outside of the US, I guess, hmm. where you do not have to pay fees if you don't make transactions. Yes. Everybody else has a you – know, we sell very low-value goods. I mean, you know, they come in an envelope for goodness sake. Um, so PayPal take a proportion of – the sale, and they've enabled a business. They've probably enabled many businesses, and it's you know completely uh, free to sign up. You, you don't have to um, sign any contracts or anything. You know, the only real uh, hard work you have to do is if you actually want to take the money out into a local bank account. But goodness me, you can take it out into a New Zealand bank account. I doubt there are any other services in the world that would come close to it. And you say a lot of work, but it's not actually a lot of work to get your bank account connected up to PayPal. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the most work that there is in terms of, you know, setting this up. Yeah, and even um, that is, is kind of straightforward. You know, yeah. they, they lodge a, a random amount of money. You have to prove your, it's your account by telling them what they lodged, and that's kind of that. Now, there are some horrible stories about PayPal, and I, I believe a lot of them are, you know, perfectly legitimate that people have had some really serious problems with them, but we haven't. Well, put it here this way. Over I, many years. I never leave capital sitting in PayPal. No, we, we sort of, um, you know, we have the issue that the uh, account, we can't run it in New Zealand dollars. And uh, to be fair, a lot of our customers are in the United States. So we run it in US dollars and we leave it in there for a while if the exchange rate goes in the wrong direction too much. Uh. But you know, aside from that, it's, it's, it's never that much in there. Um, but the thing about PayPal and places like this for Apple is that I will often opt for PayPal, and, and I, I'm sort of in two minds when I do, because on, on one side of the coin, especially if it's a small merchant, I'm thinking, wow, that's money you're losing if I'm not dealing directly with you, hmm. because PayPal take their cut. But on the other hand, I don't have to give my credit card to yet another person or yet another company, because PayPal keep that safe, and the company whose goods you're purchasing never know your credit card details. I buy, if I'm buying something online, if I can PayPal it, I will. Because it's it's effective. It's a similar type of security to what Apple Pay will have. Yeah, you know, it's, exactly. It's it's a proxy of my real credit card, and that that's good. Um, something else. I just I'd not. I couldn't help myself. I threw it into the show notes. BlackBerry have had a great new idea. They've released a new phone with buttons because that is going to save the company. <laughs> uh, it makes me sad actually to watch. It's uh, dead, yeah. I think BlackBerry are at that point in their descent where no matter what they bring out, they've lost the company, haven't they? Oh, absolutely. I, there's, they're just doomed. This is just one of the last nails in the coffin. Um, just desperate attempts at keeping the few customers they still do have. What strikes well, the- me actually about about the phone, if you if you look at the photos of it, it's like you take an iPhone 5 with that 
sort of dark metallic band design and you stretch it out and stick a keyboard in and that's what BlackBerry have released. It's something very iphone to me about the edge of that phone. But yeah, just me. I don't know. No, no one else ever made a flat-sided phone until Apple came along. True. You're not a, a band of metal running the whole way around your phone. Anyway, uh, and then the very last story I have made me sort of go, huh? Tag Her, have, or Hoyer, or however you pronounce that, have decided that they're going to make a mechanical smartwatch. Because obviously really? smartwatches are the thing to do, even if you make mechanical watches. How does that work? That's exactly what I want to know, because <laughs> I was under the impression that the inside of a watch was full of little spinny bits and stuff, and that there was no room in there, and that it was really hard hmm. to make it any smaller. So... If all the mechanical stuff has to be there, where does the smart bit go? Because it can't get any smaller either, as Apple found out. The, re- the reason the Apple Watch is the size it is is because that's really as small as you can make it. So, huh? I saw and one product you, where they how, put how stuff in the band. A, how do you do a display with spinny things? Yeah, so uh, as Alistair said, there is a company that is releasing a smart band for dumb watches. So, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> genius, right? Right. Well, wasn't there a product? Wasn't there a, a, a whole new product that had, like, the display on and the obvious place and some of the sensors in the band? Um, well, there was a, there was like a Kickstarter for a product that was purely a everything was in the band, and the idea was that it added smarts to any watch. So we're giving you a screen <laughs> in the band and sensors in the band. But the thing to note about this Tag Heuer story, and yes, that is how I'd pronounce it. Um, the words here from the Mac Observer article. This was a preemptive announcement ahead of the release of Apple Watch, not a product announcement. So this is an announcement that there will be an announcement that there will be a product at some point. Or not. Ah. Or not. <laughs> so, yeah, the or not. It's just especially. like, hello, we do watches. <clears throat> You're going to have a, a, a smart mechanical watch. Well, I guess Charles Babbage figured out how you could make a computer out of cogs and wheels. So if you take a difference engine and shrink it right down. <laughs> you can, what, start cracking Enigma codes? No, that wouldn't be that powerful yet, would it? Probably not. I think that if um, the appearance of things like the Apple Watch is going to make companies like Tiger, uh, Rolex and other high-end watch companies start thinking um, differently about their products, I think that's a good thing. Uh, they are th- these, these people have deep roots in the you know, uh, craftsmanship of making watches. And if they can figure out and get the right uh, technicians to provide some kind of product, I don't know if it could be a hybrid of a mechanical and electric device, but uh, it would be very interesting, and it will offer Apple some serious competition uh, because uh, these guys are the ones that own the high-end uh, watch space today, uh, which is a very lucrative market, although it is small. Uh, as we saw in this story, uh, it is fairly commonplace for people to buy watches of $20,000 and above that have the means to do so, and they do it frequently. Otherwise, these companies wouldn't be in business. Um, so uh, they certainly have the, um, I think, ability to come out with a product, uh, and it'll be very interesting to see if one of them, any one of them, actually does go up against companies like Apple. Um, and 
in, in vice versa, it'll be interesting to see uh, how Apple is able to compete with these traditional analog watch companies uh, because it is a very exclusive market that has, uh, like old cars, very uh, committed uh people uh, to brands and, and to the elegance of fine watchmaking. So it's going to be an interesting uh, market to watch in the coming year. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to sacrificing myself to be a first-generation Apple product owner. Perfectly happy. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done it in a while. I haven't, I haven't taken that risk in a while, and I'm, I'm going to do it this time. So we shall see what becomes something to look forward to in 2015. Okay, um, thank you very much to the panel for giving up of your, of your time in the middle of this holiday season. Um, hopefully you all had lovely holidays and are all refreshed, and the same is tr- hopefully true of all the listeners as well. Um, before we round up the show, just to say to those of you who contribute to the show on Patreon, thank you very much. You guys make it possible to do this with your continued contributions. If anyone would like to join the ranks of those wonderful Patreon donors, um, there is two giant big blue buttons on letstashtalk.ie called Support the Show. So one of them takes you to Patreon. The idea of Patreon is that every time I release a show, you pledge a certain small amount of uh, money. And then, assuming I release the shows, at the end of the month, the money is collected and hey, presto. So the idea is that this is for ongoing small amounts 50 cent a show a dollar a show that sort of you know and there's two shows a month here so it's you know one one photography one apple so you can calibrate it that way or the other option is there's a paypal button since we all like paypal so much where you can just click on that and just give whatever but do bear in mind that paypal paypaling a dollar is spectacularly inefficient because it becomes 64 cent and all the rest (laughs) of the money goes to paypal which is why I so love... The reason Patreon works, right, is it gathers all of those little 50 cents, puts them into one transaction on which a PayPal fee is paid. So that gets around the bizarreness of trying to PayPal small amounts of money. Uh, anyway, so thank you for everyone who has, and uh, anyone else who's thinking of doing it, thank you. Um, so let us introduce the panel. I tried to do it in reverse order, but I can't remember what order I went in, so that's not going to work. Um, uh, I was the last one. You were Okay, well then you shall be first. Uh, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Guy Searle, My Mac Podcast, a fellow podcast on the Stoplight Network. Oh, yeah. And you can find us there once a week, uh, both myself and Gaz. Still doing the show. Enjoyed quite a bit. We just did our 250th show together, which, oddly enough, was show 535. Go figure that out. Uh, if... Yeah, I know. If you would uh, like to send me a semi-Twitterish private message, I can be found over at Twitter at MacParrot. <laughs> <laughs> you all listen. Thank you. <laughs> how to, yeah, how, how to test if someone listens to the My Mac podcast. <laughs> oh, it's, Mac it's out now. You know who all three <laughs> listeners are. I know. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say, the other way is to, t- is to try to say the letter Z or Z and see what happens. <laughs> Z? Do you know, I actually don't know what I'm supposed to say as a European anymore because of your show. <laughs> well, we do like to think that we cause confusion amongst uh, all populations of the world. Well, I'm definitely confused. Cheers. <laughs> um, job, job accomplished. <laughs> Alistair, where do you hang out on the internet? Uh, for Apple things, you can uh, check out my uh, not too frequently posted MacThoughts.net and on Twitter, I am Z K A R J. Z. 
ZKARJ seems to rhyme better somehow. Anyway. <laughs> and finally, Victor, do you want to give uh, another reminder to the listeners of where they can listen to you articulate tech? That's right. Come over to Articulate, uh, and that is at articulate.info, and uh, you know, join the crowd there. And if you want to tweet me, uh, I am at V-I-C-T-O-R-C-A-J-I-A-O. I'm so sorry that I always have to look up the spelling of your name. <laughs> Someday I'm going to get it. Uh, sometimes I have to look it up, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much to everyone, and until next time... Happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hey, Gaz, do you like apples? Yes, I love Cox's because they're hard and juicy. Huh? Do you mean what I think you mean? Yeah, Cox's Pippin' Apples. They come from Somerset Guy. Everyone knows that. But we're talking about the MyMac.com podcast. It's been around since 2004. Oh, I see. That type of apple. Exactly. You can find it in iTunes. Talk to us from Twitter or Facebook. Or call us on our Skype number, which is... 703-436-9501. There, said it before you could.